if you just grab your Bibles and get ready to go, we got a lot of stuff to cover tonight. Um, the world has uh, been full of activity, and um, there's so much we could talk about. I'd like to focus on on uh, one sort of topic, and then we'll see how much time there is uh, to, to dive into others, but um, there's much to talk about uh, this evening. But one of the things I wanted to sort of focus on is this idea um, that the Bible talks about, de- de- uh, you know, deception. And usually when Christians speak of, um, you know, the end times and the, the great deception, maybe, often they're referring to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you know, um, it says there in verse 11, and this is kind of the big one. It says, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Um, now, notice this idea of strong delusion. Um, uh, you know, just uh, what's, what's weak delusion? Um, I almost wonder if that's what we're seeing right now. I wonder if we're seeing weak delusion. What do you mean, Brett? Well, the strong delusion is going to come. If you know your Second, Th- Second Thessalonians chapter 2, um, the, the, the weak, uh, it's going to be strong delusion, but it's going to come when God sends, and notice who sends the delusion. It says, and God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. This is one of those moments where God seems to, let's use some other languages of other chapters of the Bible, give them over. Where do we read about that? Romans chapter one, where God gives them over to their own lusts and their own desires of sexual sinful immorality. Um, He's just gonna fully give them over. That's gonna happen. Romans chapter one talks about that. But this context of 2 Thessalonians, uh, it predicts that God will at the end times judgment send a a strong delusion or a powerful uh, delusion so that they'll believe a lie. Um, But you have to understand this verse is associated with the work of the coming Antichrist, this coming world leader. It's gonna be in the context of the tribulation period. So uh, I believe, uh, as a person who believes the rapture of the church is gonna happen before the tribulation period, will be taken up out of here. But then during the tribulation, this strong delusion, God's gonna send them strong delusion. Now, the reason that's interesting to me is because I think we're seeing a lot of delusion right now. People are delusional, would you agree? But the thing is, I wonder if what we're seeing is weak delusion compared, because this is the Bible. The Bible says during the tribulation, it's gonna be strong delusion. That makes me a little nervous for the people that are gonna be living in the tribulation because I'm troubled enough by weak delusion. We're seeing craziness with weak delusion, but the tribulation is gonna be strong delusion. And it's always associated with that satanic uh, work of the Antichrist. Um, And by the way, you know, the the tribulation period, he's gonna use delusion tactics, uh, including uh, sort of miracles, powerful signs and wonders. Um, That's going to be an interesting thing. Uh, One thing I wonder about, you know, you you wonder about who during the tribulation is going to follow after the Antichrist. um, And why would they, you know, why would they do such a thing? But um, I think there's going to be a lot of things at work when the Antichrist comes. He's going to, he's going to do sort of powerful signs and wonders and people are going to, well, that's it. I guess we have to follow him because look what he's doing and you know, sort of magic tricks that sort of um, uh, are gonna be powerful. Are we seeing those magic tricks by the Satan today? I don't believe so. I, I think we're seeing the before the tribulation deception. Now, um, during the tribulation, that's gonna happen. There is, however, what I would call maybe the lead up 
or the precursor to the strong delusion uh, or the powerful delusion that we read about, you know, here in 2 Thessalonians 2.11. But um, it's gonna be actually beforehand. There, the Bible does talk about deception that happens before that. It's not gonna be, I think, as powerful as the tribulation period time. But I think that what we're seeing is the precursor. Remember the whole thing about the woman as in travail with child and you, you have the labor pains before the, the you know, transition time where the, the pushing starts and the baby comes. Um, the, the Bible compares Bible prophecy to that uh, several times. Jesus referred to it that way. Paul the apostle referred to it that way as a woman in travail with child. So when we see delusional people, I wonder if we're seeing sort of maybe the Braxton Hicks <laughs> or maybe we're seeing labor pains as the, as the baby's coming soon. I believe that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing sort of the, the labor pains. And what is the job of the parents once you start having labor pains? What do you do? Some of you are like, well, we didn't have a baby. I don't know what you're talking about. Some of you are maybe old enough to not really remember uh, what, what <laughs> some of us. But um, no, uh, what you start doing as parents is you start timing, remember? You time the contractions because that kind of tells you, oh, wow. And the, the, the more um, you know, tight they are between contractions in time and the more intense they become, those are the things you watch for when you know it's time to go to the hospital and it's time to deliver a baby. And that's the stuff they look for. In the same way, I think that's the point of the Bible. You, you know, as Christians, we're to, we're to see, are the contractions more, um, you know, uh, ra rapid? Or, the, you know, the word in the Greek is takos, which is uh, sort of, um, you know, exponentially getting tighter and faster as we're seeing the baby coming, if you would. That's the idiom of the Bible. It's an example that the Bible uses. Um, so our job is to see the timing of, of things over and over that we're seeing, um, and also the intensity. One of the things, speaking of intensity, that I, I want to bring to um, people's thoughts, you know, because, you know, all the critics of Bible prophecy and people are like, yeah, you guys, whatever, you weirdo prophecy people, you know, people online, there's a lot of these YouTubers that are, rapture's not even in the Bible. And, and you know, you guys are just looking at world events and trying to, you know, and they, they kind of make this argument. Maybe you've seen those guys. But um, one of the things they, they always like to say is we've seen things happen in the world, uh, you know, for centuries there's been things happening. And I would, I would agree with them. We've seen the Holocaust, and then we've seen, uh, you know, with the Jews, the Holocaust. And then you can go all the way back to other time periods, the, uh, uh, you know, Antiochus Epiphanes and the Jews and the slaughtering of tens of thousands of Jews then, or Haman, or you go way back, you know, uh, even to Pharaoh. Uh, there's been intense things where the Jews have been trying, they tried to, you know, um, annihilate the Jewish people. Um, and so we have seen those contractions over the, you know, millennia even. So some people say, ah, everything's going as the same as it always has. Um, have you heard that? I always like it when people say that because they're fulfilling Bible prophecy when they say, everything's the same as it always. Remember Second Peter? Uh, same as always, you know, but it's not. And I'll tell you, one of the things we're seeing is something that is more um, global on, on every level. Uh, even the Holocaust was concentrated out of Germany with the Nazis. Um, sure, there was anti-Semitism around the world uh, that was being seen, but nothing like that of what Adolf Hitler and the Nazis were doing. Um, it was very centralized, the whole hatred and wanting to exterminate the Jews. One of the things we're seeing today that, that I think that if you ask a Jew, any Jew, they're saying, oh, it's worse today. Why is it worse for the Jews today than it was before Nazi Germany's uh, you know, attempt to um, wipe out the Jewish people? Um, and it has to do with the global nature. Jews in New York City, 
Jews in Portland, Oregon are nervous because of the anti-Semitism and the intensity. It's, it's over the top, um, you know, and, and these people that are chanting, you know, from the river to the sea, you know, uh, and all these, you know, pro-Palestinian groups, that, that is a genocidal chant that they're saying to wipe out the Jews. The Jews should have no uh, right to the land of Israel. So what we're seeing is global. Um, you know, the delusional thing that we're seeing, it used to be more centralized, small groups. But there was homosexuality in the Roman Empire. Yeah, but homosexuality was pretty much centered on the, Ro uh, the Roman Empire. It wasn't, it wasn't elsewhere really as much around the world. Uh, it became popularized. You know, the, the sinfulness of, of cultures and civilizations there's horrible cultures that have come, you know, even the Greeks had their moments of hor horrible um, cultural sin. But what you and I are watching today on the LGBTQ, uh, you know, uh, acronym that they like to call it, which is just a, a, an acronym for sexual perversion, uh, that's become global and, and globally accepted and celebrated. Um, not only has it been globally accepted and celebrated, but even the Church of Jesus Christ, as it once was, is now embracing homosexual sin. Um, and so you, you have to say, wow, we've never seen LGBTQ, as they call it, or that kind of level of sexual perversion. We've seen it now globally like no other time in history. And we could go on and on. Um, so much of the things we're seeing, the signs of the time, that the critics say, oh, bad things have been happening in the world for a long time. I would agree with that but nothing on the level that we're seeing today. Globally, people are accepting sin and embracing uh, you know, um, all kinds of evil things, along with calling good evil and evil good, not just a little centralized group, but really the whole world. Um, and, and because of that, we, we are seeing what I think is the precursor to what Second Thessalonians, we'll get more into Second Thessalonians here in a second, but um, you know, during the tribulation period, um, we're gonna see that. But what, what about the buildup to the tribulation? Well, this, this is Paul talking to First Timothy uh, chapter four, where he's talking about before the tribulation. He's not talking about during. You guys are familiar with this. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Um, boy, uh, we've done whole prophecy updates on this passage because we're seeing that today uh, to a whole nother level where the conscience of people have, has become seared. That means without feeling. So they're doing stuff saying, yeah, it's all good. God doesn't, you know, he's not, he's not against this or that or the other thing, even though his word very clearly is against so many of the things and the behaviors we're doing. Our conscience has in fact become seared. First uh, Timothy chapter four. Um, also, 2 Timothy, you go forward to 2 Timothy, you see uh, in 2 Timothy 4, 3, for the time will come when, will, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Um, this is part of that delusion, that deception uh, that people are gonna receive. And they're gonna be um, del delusional because they're really wanting to have their own sins approved of. And because of that, they're looking for people who will speak and say, oh, your sins are all awesome and great. You have nothing to worry about. And that's what we're seeing today in the church of Jesus Christ, sad to say. Um, you know, I wonder uh, how much is what we're seeing are actually wolves in sheep's clothing? 
The Bible tells us that we're supposed to watch. And, and as a pastor, um, if you read you know, uh, Acts chapter 20, where Paul talks to the elders at Ephesus, um, one of the things they're supposed to do is uh, watch and warn the congregation and the uh, other church leaders to watch and warn. And that's one of the things I think we're called to do. Um, in fact, Matthew chapter seven, verse 15, beware of false prophets, um, Jesus said, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. Um, so watch out for the old, that's our graphic uh, tonight, because I see a lot of the things that are going on today in the world as these people that look like pastors, um, and, and they can sound a lot like pastors, and on a, on a good Sunday, you might not even notice much of a difference. But it's the little subtle things that are creeping in of, of things that are what, you know, I think Paul was saying, you know, uh, people heaping, having teachers that, you know, are having itching ears uh, and they'll turn away their ears from the truth. And people want to hear things that are not true to sort of make themselves feel better. That's the idea. Oh, I'd rather not be, uh, you know, so much. Let's just talk about what we're for, not about what we're against. Uh, I hear that all the time. That's kind of more of a Joel Olstein approach. You just kind of talk about only things that are positive and victorious and wonderful. Oh, that would be fun. Uh, I would like to do that. The only reason I don't do that is because it's not truth. That's not truth. It's, it's just, you know, half of the Bible. I, I love that half of the Bible, by the way. Whenever I can talk about grace and mercy and victory and all those things, you know, that we can talk about that's so good and awesome, I'll talk about that whenever I can. But one thing Jesus did, um, and this is, this is, you know, you'll hear these pastors and ministries, um, just only talk about what you're for. Let's not talk about what we're against. People know what, need to know, you know about God's love. And that sounds so good, but the problem is that's not really what the Bible teaches, nor is it what Jesus did. Jesus talked a lot about what he's against. Um, I was on sort of a rampage back when we were in the Gospel of Matthew. Every time Jesus said something he was against, I was like, see, there's Jesus talking about something he's against. Uh, and I did that because, um, you know, people are making this case that you shouldn't talk about what you're against, only talking about what you're for. Um, and so, um, so this is interesting, the idea of deception and delusional people, and there's wolves that will feed on the sheep with this delusional thinking. Um, the idea is that's not so good for the sheep. Uh, you know, you know a wolf by what it eats. And a lot of times these wolves in sheep's clothing, they're, they're often making great profit uh, on a message that's very much not in line with the Bible. And I think they do it because it feeds them. Uh, but the sheep are getting ripped off, even devoured. Um, how are the sheep being devoured? People are leaving churches by the droves. Children and young kids are bailing out of faith because of, um, you know, I think we miss, <clears throat> you know, diagnose why young people are leaving the faith. I think there's a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing that are sort of pretending to be pastors and they're saying things that just don't jibe. They don't sound right. Um, and the younger people, they're just not stupid. They're not sitting around going, well, this, you know, even though these pastors are wacko and there's adultery and weird stuff that this church is doing, um, that, you know, they were raised in some churches that they, they were giving partial truth, but also some things that didn't really sound right biblically. And the kids are like, yeah, this is not true. And I think there's a lot of people who've bailed because they're just not speaking the truth with power and authority. By the way, I think in our culture, um, I'm talking about Christians now, and I'm also talking about anybody, whether you're at work or at school or in your political world, I think people are actually more um, open to listening to someone who's more just gonna tell it like it is. Um, you know, uh, say what you want about Donald Trump. 
Um, but I, I think one of the reasons he was elected, which was a shock to so many, um, was through thick or thin, ugliness and all. He said some horribly ugly things. But I think people chose a guy who at least you know what he's thinking, maybe a little too much. Like, oh man, oh, that's enough. We don't want to hear that. Stop tweeting. You know, we're like, ah, it's like, ah, it's horrible. And, and you know, I don't know too many people who would disagree with me on that. He, he just, but you kind of knew what he was thinking. It was old Rush Limbaugh. I know I'm talking about conservatism, but I, I would argue both in liberalism or conservatism or progressive, you know, whatever. I, I, I wonder if people would just speak what they believe and say what they believe with authority and with, with some conviction instead of tiptoeing through all the topics, hoping to not offend people. In trying to offend, we oftentimes, um, in trying not to offend, we oftentimes sound like wacko people. And that's why young people are bailing out of the church, I think, because all these ministers and ministries that are tiptoeing around topics that are hitting kids in the face every day at school, but their pastor won't tell them, yeah, the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin and abortion is wrong. And by the way, Israel is, is to be supported according to the scriptures. Uh, and like just stuff that's just really clear in the Bible, pastors are afraid to bring that stuff up today. Could it be that some of those pastors are part of the big problem and maybe even some of them wolves in sheep's clothing? I wonder about that. It makes me um, cautious but even as Paul told the elders of Ephesus, man, I've, I, I'm going to watch and I'm going to warn. Um, you know, remember when the disciples asked Jesus uh, about the end of the world? What's the very first thing that came out of his mouth when, it, when they asked him that question? Well, when he went to do the Olivet Discourse, which is all those red letters in Matthew 24 and 25, the huge, the, the second only to the Sermon on the Mount in size and length of all the sermons he preached was the end of the world and what's going to happen. Um, the first red letters in that sermon um, was this warning. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no man deceive you. That's the first thing Jesus said uh, on the sermon, uh, the Olivet Discourse sermon about the end times and last days of the, of the world. You know, the, um, the point is we should, not, we as a church, <clears throat> because if you look at the Olivet Discourse, it includes everybody at the first part. And if you know the Olivet Discourse, it tends to zero in, eventually talking about the Jews during the tribulation period. But it starts out before the tribulation period, talking about wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, you know, all kinds of things going on in the world um, that Jesus said, you'll know about these things. But, but before he even, even said that stuff, he said, be careful, take heed that no man deceive you. That, that was Jesus's big warning. Um, um, okay, Brett, but you don't understand. It's all about love. You have missed the heart of God. Um, let's, let's talk about that. Um, uh, you know, because it's true. People say, you know, Jesus didn't say, you'll know you're my disciples by your, you know, rapture preaching. Um, you'll know you're my disciples by your telling people about LGBTQ sin. You won't, you won't, it doesn't say that. Well, let's, let's be careful on that one. I've noticed people like to pick their favorite verses or in certain arguments talk about just sort of half of the argument. But I think to be um, solid biblically, you have to kind of take the whole Bible, which takes a little more work than just pulling a verse uh, and saying, this is your life verse. Uh, I think we have to be careful about that. Let's go to that verse that everybody talks about because it's huge and it is important. Jesus did say in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Um, and this is, this is uh, so huge. And, and by the way, 
Um, some churches fail in this, uh, you know, and it's bad when we, all we ever talk about is the things we disagree with and the, and the sins that the Bible, you know, talks about. If that's all we ever talk about and forget to present the love of Christ and even to be able to present it with love in our hearts, even though it's a heavy topic, um, it's a hard thing to do sometimes, I have to admit. I try as best I know how to speak in love, but, but, but actually call stuff out that's, that's truly damaging and hurtful. Um, and by the way, some of the things Jesus said didn't sound very loving if you compare it to what people are trying to say to you and me as Christians who believe that there's still sin and things need to be called out and called what they are. Jesus had no problem doing that. And I'm sure they didn't think it sounded very loving when Jesus said, you whitewashed tombs, your mouths are op open graves. You're a bunch of vipers. Did, did that sound loving to people? Um, uh, I, I've, never, I've never said that to anybody. Jesus has been pretty, uh, pretty heavy there. But, but did Jesus say that with, with love in his heart? Anybody? Yes, he did, because Jesus is the embodiment of love. So as it turns out, love doesn't necessarily look like sometimes I think we think it looks. If love means you're just squishy, gushy, I call it sloppy agape where we just love everything. And I, I won't say anything about the horrible things that are going on or anything about that. And all your horrible sins are gonna destroy you and send you to hell. But I'm gonna love you all the way to hell. Sloppy agape. That's not what the Bible prescribes. Um, uh, there's two things that the Bible tells us that go hand in hand. Love and what? Truth. Truth, love and truth go hand in hand. In fact, they're not mutually exclusive. Um, and this is where we have to be careful. Love and truth, truth and love go hand in hand. John 8, 31 and 32, then, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. Now, do you remember what we just read? You'll know you're my disciples by your love one for another. But what else does Jesus say here? John says here, then if you continue in my word, which is truth, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So which one do you wanna choose? Um, uh, let people know your disciples by your loved one for another, or would you let people know your own disciple by being a person that's in the word and knowing the truth? Which one? Both, both. That's the, that's the important thing. And I believe if you don't have truth, you don't have love. And if you don't have love, you don't have truth. Um, and, and yet people pretend to be all lovey-dovey, even though they don't declare the truth, know the truth, um, embrace the truth even. Um, so the, the key here is the truth. The truth will make you free. Um, that's important. Um, by the way, you know, a lot of people think the stuff that we say that is true as Christians is bondage. Um, you know, if we talk about, you know, the homosexuality sin that the Bible talks about, uh, that then it's just bondage and clamping down on people and gonna make them really unhappy. If you know the truth, it really will make you free. Sin leads to bondage. Truth leads to freedom. That's the truth of the Bible. Um, John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Isn't it interesting um, that Jesus made this declaration and he also said, you know, that he is the embodiment of love. Well, which one is he? Is the embodiment of love? or is the embodiment of truth? Both, Jesus is both of those, perfectly both of those. I love that about our Lord. We, we know that he's love, but he's also truth. Um, and for those who love, they must speak the truth. Remember what 1 Corinthians 13, verse six, of course, this is the love chapter and tells us all about you know, love. 
or charity. Like it says here in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, love rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. So love and truth go hand in hand with the Bible. Um, it's not an either or situation. Now the greater church or part of it, I should say, um, in the world, all across the world, the greater church um, part of it um, seems to have been uh, succumbed to, I, I should say, to a worldly pressure to be loving without the truth, if you would. Um, and it's not true biblical love at all. That's where so much of the delusional thinking, wrong thinking has come from, where the church and pastors have been pressured. And even here in Portland, it's so heartbreaking to me. It, it literally is heartbreaking. Our, our elders, deacons, pastors, we, we lament we really do. Uh, what's happened here in the Portland area with churches. Um, churches that four or five years ago would have been more in the line of solid Bible teaching churches that have bailed on some of these things because of the fear of men and what people might say if you talk about certain topics or trying to tiptoe around issues. And so what's happened largely is people have bailed. And it's so sad because I've, I've had to watch you know, churches and pastors and ministries try to come up with the reasons why their churches have failed in, in the last four years and why people aren't coming and why their finances are dwindling. Um, and nobody wants to admit the real problem. They stopped declaring the truth. They stopped sticking to God's word and the congregations sensed um, that this is not truth. Uh, oh, it might be loving. Uh, we might have community, but we don't have, we don't have truth. And if you don't have truth, you actually don't have love either. That's the problem. And so many people don't wanna admit this. Um, and so one of the things the Church of Jesus Christ should be doing right now is being really good at both those things. That's the goal. That's what Eighth Creek's goal is. We wanna be the most loving church we know how to be. That is our goal. We pray about that. Um, our elders and deacons, our staff, that's something we've talked about even recently in the past several months as just our ultimate goal is to be as loving as a church as we know how to be. But at the same time, um, equally, we wanna be the most truthful church as well. And when you do that, I've noticed, some people will be critical. Um, and, and mostly the criticism comes from the truthful part as it turns out. People don't like that part as much. Um, since you got your Bibles, why don't you grab them? Let's, let's take a look at the context there in 2 Thessalonians. If you turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter two, because this is where we get into more of the prophecy update part of the deal. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter two. And, um, and it's, it's cool because, um, you know, Paul spells out a bunch of stuff in this section. This is one of the great Bible prophecy sections that I believe helps bring great clarity. Let's take a look at this real quick to what's gonna happen in the end times. Second um, Thessalonians chapter two, verse one. It says, now we beseech you brethren by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Now verse one, for those that don't believe in the rapture, there's two events that are talked about in verse one. What, what's, what's, what are the two events, anybody? the second coming and the rapture, right there. It, it says, and, you know, by the coming of our Lord Jesus, that's the second coming of Christ. Oh, I look forward to that day when Christ comes, puts his foot down on the earth on Mount of Olives and comes and rules and reigns from Jerusalem. That's gonna be a glorious day. And by the way, we're gonna come with them. Why? 
because we were raptured before that. That's, that's that second part where it says, and by our gathering together unto him. That's the rapture of the church. See, Jesus isn't gonna, it's not a coming. A lot of people make this mistake about the rapture. They, they think of a, the, the critics of the rapture. We believe in a secret rapture, which I say is, when, who called it a secret? I've never called it a secret. Only the people who don't like the rapture concept in the Bible uh, call it a secret rapture. But I think it's gonna be a very bold and amazing rapture and people are gonna disappear and everybody in the world's gonna know about it. There's nothing secret about it. And the thing that they miss is it's not a coming of Christ. It's where we meet him in the air. Um, that's an important difference. There, the first coming was Jesus born in Bethlehem. The second coming when he comes in Jerusalem and rules and reigns. The rapture of the church, I wouldn't classify that as a coming, nor does the Bible. It says we will be gathered together in the air with him. Uh, and uh, that's gonna be a glorious day when the rapture of the church happens. So that first verse is packed full already. Verse two, that you be not soon shaken in mind, nor troubled neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Um, we've talked about the day of the Lord, the day of Christ and the day of God. We've done whole teachings on that. Um, but we don't have time for that tonight. But verse three, let no man deceive you by any means. There it is. Same word Jesus gave in Matthew 24. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that, the, um, that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was with yet with you, I told you these things? And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of, of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth. Interesting right there. They didn't receive the love of the truth and they, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That's the verse we quoted at the beginning of tonight's study. Um, verse 12, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, right there alone, um, there's some interesting themes about our major theme tonight. And that is delusional um, error deception uh, that is in the thinking of people in the last days. Here, along with so many other passages, deception, being deceived, delusional, that's all gonna be part of the end times. And the closer we get to the end, the more delusional, dis, uh, uh, you, know, um, you know, wrong thinking is gonna be prevalent during those times. I think that's one of the things we're seeing ramping up here. And then notice also the loving of the truth. It's part of this theme. You got to love the truth. And those that don't love the truth, oh, it's so sad. It says that they will be damned, verse 12, who believe not the truth. Um, but that's not very loving to say people are going to be damned. I don't think you should say that. <laughs> Trying to use my millennial vocal fry. It's kind of a thing that people do. I can't do it very well, but 
Um, but that's the way they talk about this stuff. Oh, you're supposed to be loving. You can't say people are gonna be damned to hell. That, of course you can't say that. Well, I just did and so did the Bible right here. Um, that's a heavy, heavy word. And if you love someone, you're gonna tell them that, that this is a possibility. If you don't love truth, um, one of the things that you're you know, just playing around with by not loving the truth is damnation. That's something I don't even wanna mess around with. So the loving thing is to speak the truth in love, um, but also to speak it nonetheless. Now, let's, there's a couple other things here that's kind of important. What's the church supposed to be doing right now? What's our job description? This, this gives us something that people miss, especially with the King James language, because um, it uses some tennis language. Anybody here play tennis? Nobody? <laughs> yeah, who does anymore? Pickleball? Uh, I don't know if you call this in pickleball, but when the ball in tennis hits the net, what do you call it? Let, right? Let, that's the last smidgen of the use of the word, the way the King Jimmy uses it here. Um, the last thing in our modern day culture, we use the word let is that, that way. The original old school meaning of let was not like I'm letting you come to my house, but it, it actually means I'm hindering you from coming to my house. That's the old English word, means to hinder. Uh, this is kind of important. Let's, let's break this verse down in verse seven. It says um, there in verse seven, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Um, now the operative word here is letting or let, um, which means, uh, well, if you take that word out and look in a Greek dictionary, it says this, it's, it's, it's the word um, kat um, uh, echo, which means to prevent, hinder, restrain, or keep from. So who's doing the letting here? Now there's a bit of a disagreement, even in solid good churches about who's letting. Um, and oftentimes, sometimes I've noticed when people argue about something, um, you might have to open your mind for a second. Um, who's the one letting? Anybody wanna say right here? I've heard two answers, the Holy Spirit and the church. Which one is it? Yes. See, that's the way I look at these things. I've learned in my own just reading the Bible, and I'm just gonna admit, as a simple guy, I'm, I'm not a scholarly person, but I, I do notice when people are arguing about stuff, oftentimes you have to kind of go, I wonder if it's some kind of an amalgamation of, because there are people that I respect that say it's the Holy Spirit. There's people I respect that say it's the church. Which one is it? Is the Holy Spirit holding back or is it the church? Well, then you start realizing, what is the church? Well, the church is where the Holy Spirit dwells and where the Holy Spirit moves. What's gonna happen when the rapture of the church happens? There's no more letting, whether it's, you wanna talk about the Holy Spirit or the church. It's the Holy Spirit as he's moving through the, the church today. Either way, it's gonna change the world radically when the church is taken out of the way. Can you imagine? I mean, think about that. The church being taken out. Um, this is an important thing. And, and, and so, here it says, you know, this, this chapter is just so helpful. You know, it says, you know, don't let anybody be deceived except there come a falling away first. Um, now that's, that's kind of an important thing. Um, you know, uh, you have to kind of be careful about uh, uh, this idea of falling away. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. But, um, but this idea of, you know, the church's job is to hold things back. How are we doing with that? Is the church as good at holding things back than we, as we were maybe 10 years ago? Um, it's funny how the church has become less and less effective at holding back the evil of the world. Now, I'm not gonna say that's our number one job. I think our number one job is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
Uh, share the gospel with as many. And that's the best way to uh, let, if you would, for people to come to know Jesus Christ. That's the biggest job we can have is to get people to know Jesus, to repent of their sins and accept Christ and become a, a saved Christian. That's the best way to let right there. But not only have we not preached the gospel, we've preached about balancing your checkbook and being a good person and you know uh, thinking this way or that way. And so sadly, the church has lost its letting capabilities and the Holy Spirit has probably departed from some churches. Wouldn't you agree? Um, you know, uh, we've talked about how the Spirit will not always strive with man. I think maybe it's possible the Spirit will not always strive with a church. Um, God forbid Athey Creek ever becomes a church where the Holy Spirit's gone. And I would just give you this advice right now while we're sitting in a good season as we have here at Athey Creek for all these years. The moment the Holy Spirit leaves this fellowship, you should leave here too. They should turn this into a bowling alley or a skating rink or whatever. But find a church where the Holy Spirit is moving, where the Holy Spirit is word is being you know, taught with boldness and with power. We, we need churches. Uh, you know, some of these churches that are saying, oh, we're gonna have to close our doors. Uh, I, I would say as, as lovingly and sadly as I, I can, maybe that'd be the best thing to do. Close the doors or let some other church that's doing really well come in and let the Holy Spirit just move and, and maybe you can save the use of the building for something for the kingdom of God. Um, but sadly, I think there's a lot of people trying to hang on and they feel like something's departed. They know the finances have departed. They know the congregation has departed, but they haven't really measured, is the Holy Spirit even here anymore? And the chances are no, because there's not love and truth. And so because of that, oh, there's so many people that are missing missing out. So the church is not letting. We're not doing that as much. Um, and that makes me wonder, you know, Acts chapter 20, um, uh, listen to this. This is Paul talking to the elders of the church at Ephesus. Great, you know, ministry uh, handbook, Acts chapter 20, about how to be an elder, how to be a pastor, how to be a bishop or an overseeing elder. It's all right there. But in Acts 20, verse 30, it says, it says, also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. That's what Paul said about the, uh, the church. He said, even of your own selves, uh, within the church of Jesus Christ shall men arise. And what are they gonna do? Speak perverse things? See, this is, this is where I think it's heartbreaking to see what's happened. You know, Andy Stanley, you hear me bring him up lately because, you know, Andy, I would have put him in that category 10 years ago, maybe of a guy, I didn't agree with everything he ever preached, but, but he, he, you know, his dad was great um, and, and he was doing okay. Uh, and people came and, and piled in by the thousands and thousands. It was it's one of the biggest churches uh, there, North Point Church in Atlanta. Um, but, you know, I've sensed a bit of a, a, a spiraling away from truth with him. And you've heard me talk about, one of the things that was a huge red flag for me was when, when Andy Stanley said, you know, we're gonna unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Uh, as a Christian church, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Now, after he said that, almost every pastor in America said, wacko. And so he tried to backpedal a little bit and say, well, I didn't really mean, you know, unhitch, but that's what I said. I mean, you know, and he kind of hemmed and hawed, but he really meant forget the Jewish stuff and forget the Old Testament Hebrew Bible it has nothing to do with us. We're gonna only be in the New Testament. That was the first red flag. When you say unhitch yourself from the Old Testament, you are a poor messed up church at that point. 
That's why I was talking out about that. It wasn't that I dislike Andy or I want to say mean things about Andy. It's just, you could tell the handwriting was on the wall. And I'm not surprised then when in September, just a few months ago, um, he hosted the Unconditional Conference where he was one of the speakers and it was in his building. And among the other speakers were two men that are married to men. It was a gay affirming conference. Um, now they'll say, oh, it wasn't gay affirming conference. It was, it was helping parents who have children that declare themselves to be gay or lesbian, how to help them. And they, they're trying to sort of uh, cover what they did and saying it's all good because we're, we're talking to parents who don't know how to deal with their gay children. But you have to understand that the, the reason why some of us are saying, yeah, that's not the right way to handle that is you don't bring two gay married men in to come and speak to your church. That's not the Holy Spirit, that's the world, and that's perversion. And sadly, um, churches who uh, do these kinds of things, don't be shocked when people start leaving your church by the droves, hopefully. Uh, hopefully they're leaving because it's an abomination. Churches who raise the rainbow flag outside of their church building, that's perverse. It's a perversion. Churches who don't hold to the inerrancy and the infallibility and the uh, perfect inspired word of God, that's perverse. It's a perversion of the church. Churches that substitute social justice for biblical justice, that's perverse. It's a perversion of the truth. Churches that um, you know, celebrate sin under the guise of um, you know, this banner of God is love, that's perverse. Because love does what the Bible says, obeys and follows the word of God. Now, in this verse here in Acts chapter 20, Verse 30, he makes that declaration. This is what's gonna happen. Out of your own selves, the Christian church, shall men arise speaking perverse things to, to draw away disciples after them. And then he follows up in the next verse. In verse 31, it says, therefore, watch um, and remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn every one of you uh, night and day with tears. Notice that that's what Paul is telling the leaders of the church there in Ephesus. Your job is now to watch and warn. He goes on later and talks about watching and warning against those that would draw away them with perverse ideas and perverse doctrine. Um, this is something that I believe is part of my job as a pastor. Maybe it's part of your job as a Bible-believing Christian to just call out things that they are and to do it as lovingly as we know how, but at the same time, with the spirit of Jesus, the same heart of Jesus to say, I'm not gonna uh, you know, tiptoe around topics. I'm gonna speak the truth. Um, now, now this is an important thing because um, this idea of you know, um, with many tears, that's something that I have noticed uh, is something that I'm, I'm feeling. I'm not a crying type of a dude. Uh, very often I, I've, I can count on one hand at the times as an adult, maybe I've shed tears. But I have to say, um, there's definitely a, a tearfulness when it, when it comes to thinking of the churches who I've known and loved who have gone astray. It really is heartbreaking to me. And one of the things I wanna encourage Prophecy Update people is not just to be about these churches that have gone awry, not just to be a bunch of jerks, get them out of here, I hope their churches fail. That, that should not be our heart. Our heart should be repentance, that they would change their direction and get back to the Bible and that Christians would get back to the Bible and get back to truth and love, love and the truth. That's what we should be praying for. We should be um, heartbroken 
not, um, not being brutal necessarily. It is heartbreaking to see churches who are once solid, now speaking perverse things. It's, it's really something. Now, this, this is something that our text, back to Second Thess- Thessalonians here, our text is, is reminding us there in verse three, let no man de- deceive you by any means for that day shall not come. What, what day? The second coming of Christ, the rapture of the church shall not come until except there be a falling away first. And that man, that man of sin then, after the falling away, the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Who's the man of sin? Antichrist. Son of perdition? Antichrist. Those are names of the Antichrist. Notice this word, the words falling away. Um, the, the, there's a Greek word that you'll recognize there. That's, uh, it's two words in the English, but one word in the Greek, and it's the word apostasia, um, which means a rebellion even, an abandonment or an apostasy, a falling away. Um, and this is what we're seeing happen in the church today. Deception is happening because the church is not speaking the truth in love, loving and truth, truth and loving. And we need that. Oh, pray that the church will get back to the Bible. Uh, That's what we need to do in these last days where we're living. Now, to what's going on in the world and the prophecy update with all that in mind, it's not a shock. We shouldn't be surprised how many Christian kids have slowly, subtly moved away from Christianity. Um, we're seeing, you know, churches dwindle. We're seeing young people, millennials and Gen Zers uh, by the droves bailing out of the church. Uh, I, I think it's not because they're stupid as some people suppose. I think they see some hypocrisy. I, I don't think they perceive truth. I don't per- perceive they see love and truth. Because, you know, it's interesting and, and I have to be careful here because I might sound boastful, but I'm not. One of the things I love about Athey Creek, and I, I'm humbled by this, is we have young people and old people. Have you ever noticed, like, we have a really, I would say, beautiful blend of old people and young people at Athey Creek. Our youth ministry is booming. Out, kids are piling in this building on uh, Thursday nights and young adults on Tuesday nights. And we're seeing, we're seeing all kinds of young people on Sundays and Wednesdays and stuff. It's just so cool. This Prophecy Update crowd tends to be a little older crowd I've noticed, which is kind of cool. The mature ones believe in Bible prophecy. <laughs> no, but I, but I do have to say, I do love that we have a, a large mix of old and young. We need both in the church. Uh, it's so important. Uh, the wisdom of the older people and the, um, the energy and vibrancy of the young people. But, but I, I feel bad. You know, you, you hear all these pastors, how do you get young people into your church? And there's podcasts and books written, how to get young people in their church. And every time I read those books, I think, you don't get it. You don't understand. Young people are smart and they want to hear the truth and they don't want you pulling the punches. They want, they want to hear it, tell, you tell it like it is. That's, that's what we're finding here, at least. And thanks, thanks the Lord for that. Um, but sadly, a lot of young people are not getting education, not only from their parents, but not from their church anymore. Who, who are kids getting their education from? Well, this is where the end times, um, maybe some of you are old enough to remember the 60s. And the 60s were bad enough. I remember as a kid, I was a kid in the 60s, you know, and uh, patchouli oil, hippies. Um, I remember this one, I, I, I'd get on the bus. We lived way up in Upper Applegate. I was like the first kid on the bus. And then I'd sit there and, and every week, just about three miles down the road, there was this hippie family. And this girl, I was like seven. And this girl who was like probably 
14 or 15 or something. She was from this kind of hippie family and, and she'd get on the, on, the, on the bus. And for whatever reason, she'd sit right next to me every time. I think she got a kick out of it somehow. I don't know why, but she didn't wear shoes. She wore these little chains around her feet uh, that looked like sandals, but they had no bottom to them. They were just chains. And she wore these big bell bottoms and they had bells on the bottom of her bell bottoms. So she'd get on jingling and this, this wafting of patchouli oil. Whoo, man, you just start seeing things blurry because you, patchouli oil. And, and she had this patch on her rear end that said, kiss my patch. <laughs> what does a seven-year-old do with that? You're just like, ah! <laughs> Sitting up against the window, like. I, I just did, as a seven-year-old kid, man, that's the era I grew up in. Now, the whole sexual revolution of the 60s and all that, everybody thought it was so amazing. But, but you know, it's funny now because we see those, you know, those, those hippies all either became yuppies or successful people, or they're still kind of weird hippies. Um, and it's just kind of funny to watch that. You can, you can see 70 year old hippies from the 60s and stuff. And it's, it's kind of interesting. And, and that's cool. It's not just the hippie thing that's bad. I have hippies that are friends and stuff. But, but, um, but how is that whole worldview of the 60s, the, you know, flower generation and all that. How's that worked out politically in, in our culture? You know, the sexual revolution and the world thinking of that. Well, as it turns out, it's not worked out so well for us. You know, if you understand a lot of the bad things that are happening in the world came from that generation with a kind of a weird worldview that was very far from godly. Today, what are we seeing in Gen Z? Um, because I think if, you know, if I'm starting to see patterns here, um, people get older and they become the ones in charge. That's something for us to think about. What, what kind of a people group is it gonna take to have the end times with the birth pangs of the Bible? What kind of people are we gonna need to see? Well, the people that we have right now, um, who's educating our children? It's not churches and it's not parents largely, it's public education, first problem. Maybe one of the biggest problems in our world today is public education. Now, let me say the disclaimer. My daughter's a public school teacher and she's one of the most amazing teachers I've ever known. And I, I'm a teacher, I, I graduated with an education degree to teach school because I, I have a heart for that, uh, especially for public schools. And if you're a Christian in the public schools, we need to anoint you with oil right after the service. Man, you've got the heaviest, brutal, least paying job that you should be paid three times what you make. Um, I understand there was a, you know, the teacher strike recently. And if teachers, if good teachers would get paid more, I think everybody would vote for that and everybody would totally onto it. And the problem is our education system is spending on cultural diversity and uh, learning your right pronouns and all this stuff. And uh, taxpayers are sick of that. All the money not going to the teachers uh, or the school buildings even. Uh, did you see in Oregon, we have rats infesting our schools, rats and mold and all this stuff. And some of the teachers are saying, we, they're horrible working conditions. My heart goes out to the public school teachers, especially the good ones, which they're farther and fewer between, I have to say. But the school system, the uh, NEA and the teachers associations, they're as demonic and sinful as it gets. If you're a school teacher, by the way, public school teacher, you don't have to be a member of the teachers union. Uh, I know some people don't know that, but you don't have to be. And you shouldn't be. If you're a public school teacher, um, I will talk to you and give you advice. There's, there's other organizations you can pay money into that will defend you, help you, stand with you, and you don't have to pay into Planned Parenthood and all the other things that that stuff, uh, the teachers ed, uh, union pays for. Uh, there's so many other ways to do it, but Athey Creek has a real heart for helping public school teachers. So let us know if we can help you with that. 
But that's the problem. So we got public school, we've got social media, which is probably the greater educator. TikTok probably teaches our kids more than the public education system. And mainstream media is also a problem. Uh, let's just say, what about Disney? Is Disney a problem? <laughs> Think about when I was a kid, you know, you'd learn stuff from Disney. I remember Walt, you know, doing his little uh, nature shows on Sunday night. Remember Walt, he had such a homey, warm voice and you just kind of, oh, it was just so awesome. Well, Walt has got to be spinning in his grave at this point. Um, um, you know, uh, maybe you're watching, uh, but Disney is in, in total desperate triage right now, trying to treat their wounds as they should be, uh, uh, World Net Daily article, go woke, go broke. Disney admits political activism has cost billions, maybe its future. Um, with the SEC report that came out, this recent, you know, Disney reporting their finances, um, some are saying Disney's in huge trouble, giant. Like whether it's gonna even be able to, like they're gonna have to hack things, like maybe even Disney Plus Channel, which wouldn't be the end of the world. If it was just, you know, old Walt Disney talking about the chipmunks going in, in and out of the tree and stuff, then that would have been great. But some of the Disney Plus stuff is horrifyingly bad. The Washington Examiner, Examiner reported um, the company's recently re released animated Wish was facing backlash for its wokeness, oh, you think? Some people say it's the most woke of all Disney things is this movie Wish. Um, YouTube channel, uh, Clipped Coin, called it recycled woke trash with bad songs, bad writing based on the trailer as um, of this writing, the trailer um, uh, had a very small download. Like people aren't even really interested in it on YouTube. Um, that, um, that followed Disney's failed Little Mermaid remake. And then the controversy over how much um, they're now delayed uh, appearing of uh, their new remade Snow White um, they've, they've stopped that because they, they made it no dwarves because that's not politically correct. You can't have dwarves, so it's gonna be Snow White and the no dwarves. Um, well, they, they realized that, that might've been a mistake with all their other woke movies. They're realizing maybe that wokeism is not doing so. They're talking about computer imaging dwarves into their, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, um, uh, but because of Disney's, this is what um, MSN says, because of Disney's leftist ideologies, they've disrupted the company's recent 100th birthday with Rose Over Land to their recent releases bombing in the box office. Um, there's been over one year of box office flops, uh, beginning with the animated film Lightyear in 2022, um, which uh, has yet to return a profit. Um, with the, the consecutive 10 films after that, um, none of them have broke even yet out of uh, the last 10. The cost of all 10 films, including production, marketing, distribution is estimated at $4 billion. However, the total amount of the films have brought in approximately 2.3 billion, equaling an overall loss of around $1.865 billion. That's, that's a lot of money that Disney um, <laughs> uh, Babylon B is always up to their little funny things. Disney awarded defense contract after producing more bombs than Lockheed Martin. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so sad. There, there's just a lack of self-awareness of how parents and people that don't want their kids just having wokeism crammed down their throat. Uh, people don't like that. And Americans are starting to show that, people around the world are starting to show that with their uh, dollars. Um, 
Uh, you know, if it's not that bad, just nationally with Disney, um, what about what's going on in Newburgh? Are you guys following what's happening in Newburgh right now? Speaking of wokeism and all this stuff, um, this uh, Oregon Live from, you know, the, what was the Oregonian, um, uh, trial begins challenging alleged secret meetings to discuss firing Newburgh School's superintendent. The Newburgh School Board's conservative majority uh, promoted a ban on pride and Black Lives Matter symbols in the classroom. Boy, good for them. Man, when do you not hear of things like, you just don't hear, <laughs> you know, rarely do you hear of, you know, people that are trying to do this. And I admire people that have uh, taken, these, these people that go for school board, you know, offices, we have some of them sitting here t today with us. You've taken a beating. Uh, and um, uh, I just want you to know, we're praying for you, all of you who've been there and have done that or are doing that. But the Newburgh's, um, you know, um, conservative majority promoted this uh, on pride, banning pride and Black Lives Matter symbols um, in the classrooms that sparked fierce backlash in the Yamhill County town. Why is Yamhill suddenly the epicenter of all things uh, progressive liberal? It's like, what happened there? Even though named Yamhill sounds like some guys out there tell you what. Uh, I don't think that it's the normal Yamhill people, but... Board members eventually work, reworked it to be a general ban on po uh, political symbols and accused Superintendent Joe, Joe Morlock, so this is the superintendent of Newburgh Schools, uh, of lax enforcement. In other words, they passed it, and then he said, yeah, I'm not going to enforce it. You can have your gay flags and your Black Lives Matter flags in the school. I don't care what they say. Um, because of that, a trial is now underway because they, uh, they fired him praise the Lord. And a trial is now underway in Yamhill County filed by the parents who alleged the, the dis district uh, violated public meeting laws in meeting to dis discuss firing Morlock. Um, well, you say, but Brad, at least they're getting an education over there in Newburgh. Well, if your kids are in the state of Oregon, maybe you've been following this heated debate and battle. Um, Oregon again says students don't need to prove mastery of reading, writing, or math to graduate citing harm to students of color. This is from the Oregonian. Um, and you guys know about this. They've been, you know, pushing this for a long time and it's been uh, uh, highly battled, this idea. Oregon high school students don't have to prove basic mastery of reading, writing, math to graduate from high school until at least 2029, the State Board of Education decided unanimously on Thursday. This is, this is actually, I think, back in October when this was this article. But um, uh, till, till 2029, um, unanimously to extend the pause on the controversial graduation requirement that began in 2020. So, um, so uh, well, Brad, if they're, if they're not teaching reading, writing, and math, what are they teaching? Pronouns. How to properly use pronouns and how to have drag queen shows and enjoy them. Um, like, it's so ridiculous what education has become. It's, it's not education, it's indoctrin indoctrination. Indoc is that what's the word? I'm, in, they're indoctrinating uh, our children. And sadly, Gen Z is getting older and older, and we're starting to see the fruit of all that in the Gen Z world. Um, a few weeks ago, Osama bin Laden's letter to America. Remember that after 9-11? Uh, you know, uh, bin, bin Laden wrote a letter to America, uh, and we all, we, we had access to it, you know, back then. Um, but it just sort of came out on, um, on TikTok. Somebody on TikTok sort of released it. And it seemed to strangely gain, gain steam with Gen Zers. Um, in fact, the Rolling Stone uh, magazine did an article on this. Osama bin Laden letter to America goes viral 
uh, 21 years later on TikTok. The incendiary text was removed from the website of The Guardian after becoming a top trending link. Um, the first section is surely the most re relevant to current humanitarian crisis in Gaza. It denounces the U.S. for helping establish and maintaining a Jewish state of the Palestinian territories. That's the number one thing Osama bin Laden said in his America letter. Um, uh, um, and by the way, uh, Steve, the tour guide, if you, uh, if you don't know Steve, uh, you should definitely check him out on YouTube. He's a friend of mine, um, lives half time in Jerusalem, half time in Philly. Uh, but he, he does these little miniature prophecy updates. You'd like him. Uh, and he, he's a scholarly guy, but he, um, he actually did a, I'm going to say it's episode 15 where he talked about this very issue of Gen Z. And he even reads the sections of the Osama bin Laden letter. I'll leave that to you if you want to go into that, but it's, it's worth, it's worth a listen. He gives his take on that. But, um, basically the shocker of this whole thing is to see these Gen Zers around the country and their response to Osama bin Laden's letter, um, which is basically death to Israel, death to America. So what do you think American Gen Zers feel about that? Well, here you go, let's take a look. It is just insane because this letter is so well-written and so reasonably structured um, in an argument. Like you gotta present your findings, you gotta, you know, you gotta state your cause, all that, like everything he said was valid. This morning I read Letter to America, which is Osama bin Laden's letter to America explaining why he attacked Americans. And I am ashamed to say that I not only have never read this letter, but I didn't even know this letter existed. It's wild and everyone should read it. If you haven't read it yet, read it. I need everyone to stop what they're doing right now and go read. It's literally two pages. Go read a letter to America. And please come back here and just let me know what you think because I feel like I'm going through like an existential crisis right now and a lot of people are. So I just need someone else to be feeling this too. I need you to stop what you're doing and go read a letter to America. It is literally the craziest thing I've read in a while. And while I can't say that I'm that surprised, I am pretty shocked. So go read it and tell me what you think because I really also need to talk to other people about this. And actually, before you even read the letter, I did want to mention, in reading the letter, I could only think of this tweet that I saw the other day. Under settler colonialism, any kind of resistance is branded as terrorist because the only acceptable violence is violence by the occupier. Yeah, so that, that's where the way Gen Z largely, not all of course, but that's, that's what's gone viral is all these uh, Gen Zers saying he was right and his letter was, was a good thing. And um, I think they're not reading the whole letter or they just haven't learned to read. I'm not sure. Um, but also the context, uh, you know, there's so much that's missing. Well, why don't these kids know history? They sure do know their pronouns, but they don't know their history. That's the problem. These kids don't know the history of Israel. They don't know the history of the world or even of the United States for that matter. Um, and so um, that's something we need to be heartbroken about as well. Um, you know, we are guilty of not educating our, our children in America and the Gen Z attitude and worldview, it shouldn't shock us when we see what the Bible says about strong delusion. They're gonna be so opposed to the truth that God's gonna send them eventually. 
Could it be Gen Z is the generation, sad to say. I can see the handwriting on the wall where Gen Z will refuse to believe the truth. Um, and it's, you know, those of us that have lived through some of, you know, 9-11 and, and know some history and know what's going on in the world, um, it's just, it's almost unthinkable to think that our young people think this way, um, but it's because of ignorance and maybe even demonic evil influence on, on our young people. And it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, uh, interesting though, you know, with, with all the, these Gen Zers now protesting on the colleges and universities, um, there are some interesting things happening. By the way, uh, New York Post, a dozen CEOs back Bill Ack, uh, Ackman's call to not hire Harvard students uh, who blamed Israel for Hamas attack. Um, I, I do hope there's a backlash to the, some, some of these people that are basically, you know, wanting genocide for Jewish people. Um, but as much as I'd like to see all this stuff change and stuff like this happen, um, it's probably not gonna happen. If you know your Bible prophecy, the world is gonna continue to hate the Jews to the point of the battle of Armageddon. Ultimately, the world's gonna turn its guns toward Jerusalem, all the nations of the world. And Jesus is gonna, that's what it's gonna usher in a second coming, is the battle of Armageddon where Jesus is gonna fight against all the nations that have turned their guns to Jerusalem. And Jesus is then gonna subdue all those nations. Then he's gonna rule and reign from Jerusalem. So the handwriting's on the wall. Um, but so there are some people pushing back a little bit right now. But um, you wonder where do these Gen Zers get their information? Well, listen to this professor. I, I mentioned him, I think, in our last Prophecy Update, but I wanted you to hear it from his own words. This is the professor um, at Cornell University, Professor Russell Rickford, is seen, uh, seen calling the Hamas attacks on Israel exhilarating. Here's what he has to say about the Hamas attacks and how he felt about them. Who were able to breathe. They were able to breathe for the first time in years. Chopping babies' heads off. It was exhilarating. It was exhilarating. It was energizing. Hamas has shifted the balance of power. Yes. Hamas has punctured the illusion of invincibility. That's what they've done. You don't have to be a Hamas supporter to recognize that. It's amazing to me, you know, that we, um, okay, so surely this guy got fired, right? No, he didn't. He's still there at Cornell. He He did say an apology because he was forced to, but you know that that's what he thinks and that's what he's gonna continue to teach. Um, his students. And these universities to say, oh, we don't agree with the professors that we hired. Um, that's no, that's just a total cop-out. Uh, Washington Post um, told us more about uh, ignorance and decept- deception. Um, in undisclosed call, the Pope, Pope Francis warned Israel against committing terror. Um, this is a big deal. As bombs fell, tanks penetrated deep into Gaza in late October, Israeli President Isaac Herzog held a fraught phone call with Pope Francis. Israel head of state was describing his nation's horror over the Hamas attack on October 7th when the Pope issued a blunt reminder. He said, it is forbidden to respond to terror with terror. Francis said, according to a senior Israeli official uh, familiar with the call, which has not been previously reported, Herzog, uh, protested, repeating the position that Israeli government was doing what was needed in Gaza to defend its own people. The Pope continued, saying those responsible should indeed be held accountable, but not the civilians. Um, uh, so should we, in, in light of this, should we be shocked uh, about 
um, you know, this Catholic announcement. Well, here's another Catholic church thing. If, if you're part of the Catholic church, you probably shouldn't be. Uh, because they're losing, they've lost their way, and they have for a long time in, in some ways, but um, they're, you know, Indiana Catholic Women's College now accepting men who identify as women. Uh, th this is where they've been going. Pope Francis has been hinting at this kind of stuff. Uh, the school's mission <laughs> is to empower women through education at all stages of life, the school said. Essential to this mission is fostering a diverse and equitable and inclusive campus experience. Um, is that going to make the women at that school um, uh, feel empowered? Um, one thing that transgenderism hasn't done is empowered women. Uh, it's done the exact opposite. I would say as much, uh, it's erasing um, women. All part of the deception. All this deception, by the way, that we're seeing today and craziness, it's going to empower the Antichrist to come with power and ultimately bring about, you know, the battle of Armageddon and stuff like that. The list goes on and on the deception in the past years, you know, the religious cult of climate change. We did a whole thing on that a couple of prophecy updates ago. It's a, it's a religious cult and people are deceived radically. And there's all kinds of evidence and proof of the deception there. Um, there's deception. Men can have babies. Um, that's still a narrative that people, like adult thinking people are saying that that's a narrative that is true. Um, uh, we're still struggling with trying to figure out why can people believe biological men can compete in women's sports. Um, on the left, you'll see the, the, that, that six foot two um, guy. Um, he, he claims to be a woman, but if you'll watch him here, he's dangerously like thumping all the women uh, on, the, on this Australian uh, handball or what do, they, what do they call this? Like dodgeball or something? Um, but you'll see him just kind of plowing through all the women. Six foot uh, two, 270 pound woman um, playing this. Uh, it's just kind of a shocker to watch this. Um, but you know, it just like this, this, this just, the craziness just, just goes on and on. Um, children deciding what gender they are. Um, and, the, and, and now there's, do you know what the biggest, latest thing with this is children deciding what gender, this kid on the lower right there is coming on their gender reveal. Um, to their family. Um, by the way, uh, the big argument of the LGBTQ plus uh, community is that parents don't have the right to know what their child's gender is. Um, we've seen that when the schools have made that decision, but now they're just saying in general, parents do not have the right to even ask or know. Um, this is all deception from Satan and the world's eating it up. We could just go on and on. Black Lives Matter, defund the police, all these things with narratives we saw in 2020, 2021. Um, how's that been working out for us? Uh, the rise of crime is, is exponential. Uh, like there's so much untruth and so much craziness and the world is not getting better as some people would try to say. Um, we could just go on and on of the untruths. You know, the whole, uh, you know, COVID narrative. Um, and, and nobody really knew what to believe uh, during the whole COVID thing. But, um, you know, have you ever noticed that people are getting a little twitchy when it comes to the flu and the cold? Like if you see any news, uh oh, oh no, they're gonna lock down again. And, and there's all kinds of things about wearing masks and lockdown. Did you see this? The US on alert, US on alert, Sweden and Switzerland now hit by surge of pneumonia cases as the white lung syndrome. It plagues China. And you can see there's kids uh, in China with IVs sitting in the aisles of the hospitals, um, this whole white lung syndrome. Um, you know, makes you wonder, okay, what's the agenda? What's going on? What's really happening? Do, do you really believe the CDC if they come and tell you to do something? 
Um, you know, they've lost all credibility. Um, even if there was a real brutal pandemic, like there were historically uh, real pandemics. Um, I'm not saying people didn't get sick, people didn't die from the COVID thing, um, but I am saying it wasn't what they claimed it was going to be, not even close. And, um, and so the world is kind of in this place, do we really believe any, anybody? So an alarming number of pneumonia cases have been detected in Sweden, Switzerland, uh, echoing a similar surge in China. Um, should we be surprised that this is the way of the last days where the world doesn't trust anybody? Um, delusional thinking is everywhere. We could just go on and on about all the delusional thinking. Um, but um, it, we should understand that Jesus described the devil uh, in a way that sort of lines up with the, the prince of this world, the God of this world, who's called Satan. Uh, John eight forty four through 45, you are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning uh, and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. This is the condition of today. And this is Satan at work in the last days um, promoting lies. And as Christians living in the last days, we should be on guard, extra careful guard to make sure we're not buying in. Oh, Brad, I would never do that. I would never believe in some of these things. I wonder if there's subtle things that you and I have started to believe and embrace. It's almost impossible uh, to not get the deception and the lies on you if you live in this world. If you're watching news, um, if you're talking to your friends at work, um, and, and, and it's almost like you're gonna get it on you if you're messing around with the stuff that's lies and deception and all this stuff, you're gonna get it on you. I remember my dad used to shock me. When we do work with dirty, gross things, he would always stay perfectly clean. But I would do the same job and be covered in whatever I was trying to do. I remember there was this one wall at a construction site um, that I had to put black emulsion, the sticky tar black stuff, on the back side of this wall between the dirt and the wall. It was about a, I, I wouldn't fit there today. It was about a one foot space uh, between the dirt and it was like 12 feet high dirt wall. And I had to put the black goo on that. And by the time I came out of that area, um, I, uh, you know, I looked like a blob of black tar. My dad said, Brett, you shouldn't get it on you. You're supposed to put it on the wall. And I said, well, I'd like to see you do it. Now that's always a bad thing to tell your father. He grabbed my bucket and my roller and went back and finished the job and didn't have one speck of tar on him. Um, and that, I'm still bitter uh, to this day. <laughs> but in this world, oh man, the, the tar of sin and lies and deception, it gets on us. And, and um, you know, and we're supposed to be careful. You know, Jesus um, not only said uh, that first part in Matthew 24 that I quoted earlier, Matthew 24, 4, Jesus answered to them, take heed that no man deceive you. The first words of the Olivet Discourse. But notice is, for many shall come in my name saying, I am the Christ and shall deceive many. Later on in the tribulation period in Matthew 24, it talks about how even the very elect will be deceived. Like even to the very elect the smartest of them, the most chosen of them will be deceived. So it makes you kind of wonder, um, you know, there's, there's stupid things you hear, like, like this one, Al Jazeera came out with this. This will shock y'all. Did you know that Jesus, remember Jesus Christ was a Palestinian refugee. That's Al Jazeera's take on Jesus. Um, 
You know, by the way, that one's pretty overt. And most of us say, yeah, that's kind of not true. There were no such things as Palestinians when Jesus was on the earth. Anybody that knows anything about history knows that's not true. Um, But I would say, be careful with the topic of Jesus because there's more subtleties that you have to watch out for in this day and age of diminishing Jesus even just a little bit. You know, that, um, and it's, it's hard for me to even articulate this, but, you know, um, you know uh, in Osama bin Laden's letter to America, he says that, you know, the beloved Jesus blesses, you know, Allah bless him or whatever. Um, he was a prophet, uh, one of the great prophets of Islam. Um, that's a diminishing of Jesus. He was not a prophet. Jesus was God in the flesh. Again, Brett, that's, that's so overt. I would never agree with that. But can I just say, even in the Christian church, there's this sort of movement to sort of subtly diminish Jesus. And, and how do they do that? Making ourselves the centerpiece. Um, it's all about your self-esteem. It's all about community. It's all about this and that and the other thing. But no, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the big thing, all Jesus. You know, that's one of my biggest complaints against Bethel Church. Bethel Church, people say, Brett, you're so upset about Bethel because they're glitter falling from the rafters or they're flopping around in the aisles. I don't appreciate the flopping or the glitter. But I would not call them a false church for glitter and for flopping. I would say they, they could be within the pale of orthodoxy if they were, you know, holy, ghost, holy rollers doing their fire tunnels and all that stuff, which I disagree with. But they're still within the Christian faith. You want to know what makes Bethel dangerous? It's not the glitter. They diminish Jesus Christ and they say that you can be greater than Christ. Uh, it's subtle. It's very subtle. But I've listened to enough teachings. I've read enough of their books to say it's totally wrong representation. Yeah, but Jesus said you'll, be, you'll do greater things than Jesus did. Um, that's what Bethel likes to lean on. But that's not meaning you're going to be greater than Jesus. If you think that, that's the way they kind of teach it, that you can be greater than Jesus. No, never going to happen. Don't ever allow, I heard a teaching from a church that I once called solid. Now it's not solid. Um, uh, uh, that it's teaching the whole thing where we need to forgive Jesus. Why do we need to forgive Jesus? Because I don't get things the way I want them. What? You, you don't like the way things are going, so you need to forgive Jesus for, that's diminishing Jesus. Now, now in that teaching that I listened to, he said, I know it sounds heretical and I, I, you know, I don't really mean it, but, but we need to forgive Jesus. Like he still said it. Just the diminishing of Jesus. And, and you know what's amazing to me is people are gobbling this stuff up. They're like, oh yeah, I do need to forgive Jesus. That's saying that Jesus sinned and you, he owes you an apology. Can I just say what an abomination that is? Jesus died a bloody and horrible death for your sins. And you wanna forgive him because you didn't get your stupid little way? Do you realize how stupid your way is anyway? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are wiser than our thoughts. He knows what's good for you and he loves you more than you can imagine. And for you to say, you gotta forgive him? Oh man, you're on dangerous ground, my friend. Um, be careful. Deception comes very subtly and churches are gobbling this stuff up, whether it's Andy Stanley's church or other churches locally here, it's heartbreaking. We should be shedding many tears for what's happening to the church of Jesus Christ. We should be in prayer about this um, and watching out because it's not just the Antichrist that's coming, but you know, First John talks about the spirit of Antichrist. You know, uh, we're almost done. First John 2, 18. Children, it is the last hour and you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that is the last hour. 
you'll know that there's people in place of Christ or against Christ. The meaning of the term antichrist means against or in place of. Um, and the apostle John records it in first and second John. Um, uh, he, you know, the, the spirit of antichrist, it does not acknowledge Jesus, first John 4, 3. Um, it denies that Jesus came in the flesh, second John 1, 7. It denies the father and the son, first John 2, 22. Um, so there have been many antichrists, First John 2.18. Um, so anyway, there, there's the coming of the antichrist, but how do we fight against some of this deception and the spirit of antichrist being against Jesus in these last days? Um, you know, I think the answer is clear. You and I, people that are here probably already know, I'm so thankful we have the anchor, the foundation, everything we need to know how to fight against the deception. And you won't be duped if you're given to the word. I love Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Second Timothy 2, 15 and 16. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. That's the stuff we're talking about. The biggest danger in being deceived I think is, you know, the idea of salvation. You say, well, Brett, is homosexuality an essential doctrine of the Christian faith? We could debate that and talk about that, but let me just say this. And some people, they always ask the question, is homosexuality, but you always talk about that like it's the, un, the most horrible, unpardonable sin. It's not an unpardonable sin, but it is a sin. But here's the danger of the homosexual sin is you know, when the Bible says, you know, in a couple different places, it talks about those who continually practice sin will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. There are sins that people like to practice and get better at. Just like when you're a little kid practicing to hit the baseball, throw it up, swing and a miss, throw it up, swing and a miss, throw it up. Oh, you hit it. You're practicing at getting better at baseball. If you're practicing at getting better at homosexuality, if you're marching in pride, do you understand how dangerous that is? See, the difference between homosexual sin versus say like picking your nose. Is that even a sin? I don't know, maybe I shouldn't use that one. Um, I think it's a sin, but I don't know if the Lord does. Um, no, no, let's talk about this. Like let's say anger, you, you have a temper problem. Nobody in the world says, oh, let's celebrate your anger. Everybody says, no, that's sin and you need to repent and stop it because it's sin and it's ugly, it's wrong. And we, we don't argue that. The reason homosexuality is dangerous, it's just like all other sin, there's no difference except for this. It's the one sin our culture saying, celebrate it, get better at it, embrace it. And if you don't embrace it, you're the bad person. Like, do you understand the, the, the danger of that? Because that's the kind of thing when the Bible says those who continually practice that kind of sin, trying to get better at it. Just like if you were going around saying, Brett, I'm gonna be angry and I'm gonna learn how to be better at it. Um, then I, I can't promise you you're gonna to go to heaven if that's your attitude because you're practicing being angry um, and trying to get better at it. Most angry people I know, at least they acknowledge, no, it's wrong and I need to stop it. And they'll struggle with it. They'll wrestle with it. They may never even get perfect with it, but at least they're not practicing it. They're, they're trying to do better. That's the difference. So when people ask that question, what's the danger with homosexuality? Not being saved. That's a big deal. Not going to heaven. Because you're saying, I reject the Bible and I believe my sins are okay. And I'm gonna celebrate 
and march and wave the flag. That's the saddest part of homosexual sin. So that's why we talk about it a lot because it is dangerous in the sense that people are not gonna go to heaven that are waving the flag. It's not gonna happen. So you say, okay, Brett, I, I see the difference there maybe. Um, see, that's the biggest issue of all things. Are you saved? Are you going to heaven? And I, I'd like to end with this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, we're all sinners. I am no better than the homosexual. The only difference is I'm at least saying, I know that I'm a sinner. And the stuff I've done, it's sinful and wrong. And I've chosen to say, I repent. I've changed my mind about that. Now, by the way, me repenting isn't what saves me. I am required to repent and change my mind. But I, I know that I'm actually saved because Jesus loved me so much that even though while I was yet a sinner, Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for my sins. And so a Christian accepts that, receives that, confesses with their mouth, oh Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And I, I take that substitution that you've made, you died in my place and I accept that. When I accepted Jesus for my, the saving of my sins, I became a Christian. I'm not better than anybody else. I'm just saved by God's grace through faith. Not of me working it out or figuring out how to be an awesome person. That's not what saves a person, just grace through faith. Now, when you become saved by grace through faith, um, the Lord will start to change your heart and fix stuff. And it's a slow process sometimes, slower for others, um, for some. Uh, but it is a, we're a work in progress, but that's not what saves you is getting better. You're not saved by works, you're saved because of his work on the cross. But faith without works is dead. So once you have faith, you'll see the works start to come. But when you see a person who's saying, I reject all of that, then that's a person who's not going to heaven. The Bible's clear on that. So I'd like to end with that. If you've listened to this prophecy update and you're thinking, who are you to judge? It's not me that's gonna judge. My opinion matters not one tiny little bit. The Bible, however, that speaks of God's plan and his judgment upon the world is everything. And the Bible makes it clear, repent of your sins, accept Jesus, and go to heaven by his grace through faith. I would invite anybody to do that. Well, that's enough for tonight, an hour and a half, so we better hang it up this evening, but we'll pick it up uh, next year uh, in January. Wow, it's already December. Lord, we are so thankful that we have the hope of heaven. Um, while the world seems to be delusional and uh, deceived, Lord, how thankful we are that we have the way, the truth, the life. Um, Lord, show us how to be loving, but also truthful. Love and truth. Oh, you modeled that so perfectly as you walked this earth. Help us to be more like you on that topic, Lord. Um, for the churches that are amiss, that have lost their way, Lord, how we pray that there would just be a revival back to your word, not just the favorite verses, but just to the entire volume of the book that, that pastors would fall in love with the whole scriptures and all of the truths of the scriptures and that they would preach and teach the word like Paul who never shunned to declare the full counsel of God. Lord, may that be seen maybe again in the churches around. We pray for revival in these last days where people would give their hearts and lives over to you. Lord, for our young people, Gen Z and um, the millennials and, and even the next generation uh, that's coming, Lord, I just pray that you'd help us as parents, as church leaders to speak truth and love and to really guide our families and not let the world um, corrupt and tweak and deceive our children. Give us wisdom, Lord, I pray. So we commit all these things to you. Thank you for hearing our prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.